prepare, Sunday, September 10th. There will be an Awana meeting this Wednesday, August 23rd, and one Wednesday, August 30th at 7 p.m. They're the exact same meeting. If you're planning on helping with Awana this year, please try and make one of the two meetings so that we're able to just kind of bring you up to speed on what Awana is going to look like. That being said, there's a little insert inside of your bulletin. Looks something like this, and it says, I'm interested in volunteering for Awana, and it asks for your name and either your email or phone number, and if you could place that in the white offering boxes on the way out so we can keep track. This is not a commitment form. Right, just because you put your name on this does not mean that you're signing yourself up for a year. It means that you're interested. And I'll get in touch with you to talk kind of what it will look like and, and what are the areas that we need help. You can still say no after this form. Um, but please, if you are interested or feel led to be interested, you feel like the Holy Spirit might be working in your heart a little bit right now, please fill this out. Put it in the white church and, or the white, I'm sorry, not the white church. Put it in one of the white offering boxes and uh, I'll be in touch with you. Uh, within the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'd like to congratulate, they're not here this morning, but uh, Kyle and Nicole Gingrich, who were married yesterday um, in Milton, Pennsylvania. Let's open our service with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we're so thankful for your love for us. You're an amazing God. You're an awesome God. And we're thankful for days like today when we can gather together to meet in your name. We're thankful that we live in America where we can meet freely without having to worry that someone's going to break down our doors. Lord, I ask that you would move in this place this morning. Father, let us hear what you want us to hear. May you speak directly to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we worship the Lord together? Even death can't hold you down 
God, you're the great I am. Breath of life, I breathe you in. Even in the fire, I'm alive in you. You are strong in my brokenness. Sovereign over every step. Even in the fire, I'm alive. I'm alive in you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me, and Christ who lives within me. From beginning to the end, you deserve the glory, you deserve the glory. You are God, you're the great I am. Breath of life, I breathe you in. Even in the fight, I'm alive in you. You are strong in my brokenness, sovereign over every step. Even in the fight, I'm alive. I'm alive in you. I'm perfect in all 
Well, good morning. Good to see you today. We appreciate your attendance, and uh, we do trust that God will do a great work among us. You know, it's always great to have young people hear the call of God and go into missionary work. I've always appreciated that. You know, uh, not that long ago, the board met again with uh, Drew Ozenbach, and um, you know, he's going to be going once again down to Marshall in West Virginia and continue to serve with crew. But this morning, uh, we have a young lady uh, who is actually the daughter of Brooke and Jeanette Morrison. Now, Brooke, of course, we know as the director of CEF of Dauphin County, and we actually financially support uh, the Morrisons. But uh, their daughter, uh, Melissa, is with us this morning, and she's headed to Minneapolis to work with uh, Muslim women and children. Interesting ministry. But we've asked her to come and share with us uh, her work. I believe she said you're leaving next Monday. Not tomorrow, but next Monday. And um, what an interesting time that will be. A whole new chapter uh, in your life. Uh, there's a white church in the foyer. If you care to help her, please take advantage of that. Uh, we announced that last week so you could bring your checkbooks and your uh, cash. So please, uh, I'm sure there's a financial uh, need, as there always is with um, these who, who go out. So we're just pleased that uh, Melissa can be with us this morning. And you come and share with what the Lord has laid on your heart. God bless you, Melissa. Well, good morning. Um, as Pastor said, my name is Melissa Morrison, and I'm thankful for the church allowing me to come and share with you a few minutes of what God has laid on my heart for um, this next stage of life. Um, so I marvel to think back of how God has orchestrated my life, um, placing me in the family that he has, but specifically the past um, four years of college. I recently, in May, graduated from Appalachian Bible College in West Virginia, and I graduated with a double degree in Bible and theology and in missions, and then with a minor in teaching English to speakers of other languages. And during those four years, I fervently prayed where God would lead me in the next stage of life. And through those prayers, God led a um, sweet friend, Sarah Salona, who was already in ministry, uh, ministering to the Muslims in Minneapolis, but seeking a partner to come alongside of her and help in that ministry. Um, so although at times my heart is um, fearful and sometimes this undertasking seems like I'm inadequate for, I'm thankful that I have a Heavenly Father who chooses his best for his children. So for this next stage of life, God has chosen for me to move to Minnesota, where there are a calculated over 200,000 Muslims living currently right now. Um, so I want to share with you a statistic. Um, over the next four years, it's calculated that um, Islam will grow faster than any other major religion. Uh, looking ahead to 2050, there is projected to be just as many Muslims living in the world as Christians. 
But these souls that are entrapped in this false religion are enemies of God. They're dead in their trespasses of sin, as the Bible says, and they do not have any hope. Yet, God in his kindness um, has brought the largest amount of Muslims um, to America in any time in history. And many he has brought out of war-torn areas or famine-struck lands where they do not have somebody to tell them of the truth of the gospel. But he has brought them here where there are thousands like us sitting um, here in church who has experienced the redeeming um, grace and love of Jesus. And if we're willing to share, we can share with them the good news. So God has laid on my heart um, to specifically reach um, one of these um, Muslim populations, and they're called the Somalis. As you can see in that picture, they come from the Horn of Africa, and they have come here to um, America, specifically to Minneapolis. In the 1990s, it started out um, because of such turmoil and war, many of them were placed in refugee camps around the world, um, and now they are being resettled in Europe, um, but mainly here in America, specifically in Minneapolis. And Minneapolis has the largest population of Somalis in the United States. There's projected to be 77,000 or more Somalis just living in the city of Minneapolis. And um, you might be wondering why Somalians would come from the hottest climate um, of our world, mostly, to the coldest area of the United States. And um, I get that question a lot, but it's mainly due to a low unemployment rate. The refugee organizations have placed them there. And of course, now there's a, an established community um, where their family and their friends are, so they go and gravitate towards that area. Um, but I believe that above that, above job opportunities um, and a culture where they feel comfortable, it's God again, orchestrating that. Um, and as in Numbers 14.21 says, so that all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And that what lies behind this orchestrating of so many Somalians coming um, to America. And as you can see by my pictures, um, it really is like stepping into a different country when you go to Minneapolis. They have termed the area where many of these Somalis um, live Little Mogadishu after the capital of Somalia, which is Mogadishu. And that's where I'm going to mainly be ministering. Um, they have many um, of their apartment complexes that they reside in and malls where they show um, and sell their clothing. I'll be showing you a few pictures of that. Um, so you can see the contrast of life. They're coming from refugee camps where they have they're famined, so they do not have food to live for every day, and they come to a very different culture. And um, it's like stepping into a new world for them. They don't know how to use their appliances in their home, how to read their notes um, sent home from their children's teachers. Many of the common things that we just grow up doing, they don't have an understanding of. So that what leads me, and the opportunity that um, has opened up um, for me to minister to them 
my goal in uh, Minneapolis is to build redemptive relationships. I don't know if you've heard of that term. It was a term um, I learned of my freshman year of college. It's used to demonstrate how we should, as believers, um, share the gospel. And it's um, important to do this, especially with Muslims. Muslims, at first, you know, will not even trust Americans. Um, and so to build that trust, you have to build a friendship, a relationship with them, always for the goal of evangelism and of discipling them in the word of God. So I'll be doing that um, in these homes of these Muslims that live in Minneapolis, in the storefronts where um, these mothers and these wives sit daily with their children selling um, their clothes in their malls. So I'm gonna just quickly show you what a redemptive relationship would look like in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, where I will be. So for the Muslim who has never even understand the concept of a heavenly loving father, it is revolutionary when they are shown um, a love that is so radically different from what their religion has to offer. And that is what I will strive to do with these women and children living in Minneapolis. You see, as I said, many of them are refugees. Some of them have been here for months um, or for years. Some of them are grandmothers who have grown up here. And then some of them have just arrived in Minneapolis just a week or so. Um, but no, no matter how long they've been here, they all go through struggles. Um, as I said previously, um, just knowing daily life, where the grocery store is, how to get furniture for their homes, um, how the hospitals work. So I'll um, be doing a lot of those practical needs um, and even teaching English as an inlet to then share the gospel. I was in Minneapolis for a 10-day survey trip this spring, and I was able to see how God is opening up the opportunities to practically love your neighbor as yourself. And it was neat, as some of these pictures showed, um, we were able just to rejoice with a Muslim family who had a newborn, um, sit with them for the whole afternoon and um, talk about this new baby that they have had, or make bread for some grandmothers who sit in the Somali malls, and um, buy tea with them, and um, talk again about life, or like this refugee family who did not have any furniture, no form of transportation, and we were able to help them get connected with a church up there. So um, those are just some practical ways that I can be a friend um, to those Muslims. So that's the first step of a redemptive relationship. And then um, as I strive to um, put myself in this Somali culture, it's so I can learn tools for witnessing. Um, as I'm reading books and reading articles, I'm understanding that to witness to a Muslim, it is it takes a little different approach um, than you would kind of normally. So in order for me to be culturally sensitive, I will um, get to know the culture and the religion. This is Fuana um, up here praying and in the middle between Sarah and myself. And I met her on that 10-day survey trip. I went to observe their Friday um, prayer time 
at 12 o'clock noon, and that was when she was praying. But from the very onset, I could tell that Fuana, she was striving for acceptance um, and striving to earn significance. She um, did that through her daily praying um, towards Mecca. She did it through um, her clothing and her makeup that she wore through social media. And it struck me how much she needs to hear these words. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. And those are words that will give these Muslims rest and peace that they long for their whole lives. Um, many of them, like Fuana's age, in a very um, a hard time of life where they're trying to find themselves and find what they truly um, believe in. But the only way they will be able to hear that if, is, if someone is willing to boldly proclaim the good news to them that will um, be able to take away the punishment of their sin. Um, so through the Holy Spirit, I asked for boldness um, to be a witness to them. And then lastly, um, I believe that God has intended for the Great Commission to include reproducing disciples um, to have a heart to see God's glory shared through the ends of the earth. So through the friendship that the, is built and through the evangelism that I do, I pray that I will have the opportunity to disciple these women in the word of God, that they too will be disciple makers. So that leads me to my vision um, in Minneapolis and for these women and for these children is to see Muslim women of Minnesota respond to the gospel in a positive way so that they too can be trained and discipled to reproduce their faith in their circle of influence. And of course, they have much more influence even in the Somali culture in Minneapolis, but so much so back in their own country. You see, right now, um, Christians are, they can't step foot anywhere in Somalia. Um, all the Christians that were there have been persecuted. So for me to go over there, for you to go, we cannot. But for a Somalian um, who is of true, truly of that culture and has the light of Jesus Christ now um, to step foot back there, that is my vision. So my um, kind of my partners along with this ministry quickly, um, my mission board I'm going through is IBM Global to do my financial work and um, just support in that way. As I said, Sarah Salona is my ministry partner up there. If you could specifically pray for her, we have, um, she has a lot of decisions to make. Um, she's home right now. Um, she deals um, with uh, Lyme's disease, and so she's trying to get a lot of things figured out with her doctors, and it's kind of pressing as in a week um, we're supposed to leave. Um, so if you could pray for wisdom for her. She'll be my mentor and teaching me a lot as she's already pretty established up there. And then Family Baptist is the church I'll be attending, and again, getting mentorship and discipleship through a counseling program I'll be educated through. But they're the ones that I would send the Somali women to once they are saved so they can be surrounded by a body of believers. Um, but how can you be involved? Um, I just, or I love this quote by Hudson Taylor. It says, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. 
And you see that God's work is in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We're all supposed to be involved in that. But God's way is through the body of believers working together in order to declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. Psalm 96.3. And I do, I need your help, um, individual as a church, to carry out his enterprise um, for this um, great work that he has put on my heart, and um, I hope yours as well. And I love this picture. I'm kind of a visual learner, um, but the church is the one that's holding the lunchbox strap of support, of financial, of prayer, um, of accountability, so that I will, um, as I reach out to the lost, um, the dying soul, um, doing the work of the ministry, that I will be supported um, by you guys and um, by those Christians that have that lunch box of support. Um, so just a little bit about my financial support. Um, as was mentioned, I've committed to nine months um, up there just to understand the ministry and, of course, prayerfully understand where the Lord would lead me kind of to make a, a decision for a long term um, where he would want me and I've been raising support just this summer um, to other churches and individuals and the Lord has provided I still need um, about three thousand four hundred dollars um, in order to live up there um, as I'm learning rent and everything is kind of more expensive up in Minneapolis um, so if you could and would be willing to help um, that would be of a great um, encouragement um, to me as I um, go and serve. And just some ways that you can pray um, with me. Um, at times, my heart is fearful, um, and I never want that to stop me from being a bold proclaimer of Jesus, the Messiah, who is worthy to be proclaimed. So pray that I would have boldness, and then pray with me that the eyes of these um, women who are entrapped in the Muslim w religion would be open to the gospel, that I would see at least one Muslim woman um, come to know the Lord Jesus as her Savior, and I would see a discipleship process um, started, because right now, Satan has them in such a stronghold in um, this false religion that it's very difficult for them to see um, that they need to know the truth of the Word of God. Um, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Um, so the Lord has been challenging me with this verse just to close. Um, it says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in Christ. And I have to ask myself, does my grace um, have limits and for the Muslim, as I said, all they know is judgment, um, a judgmental God, Allah. Um, and for them to understand this radical grace of Jesus, the love that extends um, to all cultures, to all generations, um, changes them and um, will propel them also to share with others. And so my goal in Minneapolis, of course, is... Um, to be a witness to these Muslims, but as God has convicted my heart, that should be my daily mantra as I step out the door, that 
am I portraying the love of Christ that would compel others to know him as their personal savior as well? So I challenge you as well as he has challenged me to smile, um, even as God has brought this culture to our back door. Smile at these people, look at them in the eye, maybe just stop um, to have a conversation with them because you never know what God will do through our witness um, as believers. So there is a little bit of information in the back. Um, you can sign up for email updates. Um, I'll be doing those monthly. Um, I have a little just um, website that can give you some more information, how you can give, and um, of course how you can pray um, some more. And I appreciate your support to me and your love that you've already shown. So thank you. Well, Melissa, thank you. My word, so polished. Isn't she? My word, just so polished um, from beginning to end. Um, Brooke and Jeanette, you've done well. You've done a nice job. Well, the Lord, too. I understand that. But, you know, you've done a great job. So we thank you for that. And uh, we trust that God would uh, speak to all of us to know how we uh, can help her in the work in which uh, she has been called. Father God, we come before your throne. We are thankful, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings salvation to the world. For God does love the world filled with people of various races, various religions. Father, you're not a respecter of persons. And we know, Lord, that all need Jesus. Jesus said, I am the only way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And so we're thankful, Lord, that you have brought to the world redemption through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray for Melissa and for her partner, Sarah, that, Lord, you might Give them a boldness to be able to proclaim and share the good news of the gospel. I pray that you would remove the fear, the anxiety, not just from Melissa, Father, but from her family. Not easy to let go of a daughter, uh, to go to a different state, to a different culture. So I pray for Brooke and Jeanette that, Father, you would you would give them, Lord, a wonderful peace and encourage their hearts as well. I, I pray for the financial need that Melissa continues to have. That, Father, you would raise up those individuals and churches who might be able to help her uh, ease this pain and give her relief in this area. Again, Father, we know that you're a great and wonderful God, and nothing is impossible with you. And Father, we look forward to uh, you using Melissa and bringing forth much fruit as a result of her labors. Father, we are indeed thankful this morning for this report, for this update, uh, for her sharing with us uh, what her plans are, her vision. 
Father, we're thankful that she has heard your voice and has said yes. Father, we do pray for the continuation of this service, and that, Father, you would use our time together to bring honor and glory to yourself. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Leonard's going to come and lead us in How Great Thou Art, hymn number 32. I'd like if we would <clears throat> sing the first two stanzas of this, then reflect a little, a few minutes on the third stanza. So we'll sing through the stanza one and two and then reflect on the third. <clears throat> hymn number 32, How Great Thou Art. <coughs> I'm going to ask you to stand with me, sing as we sing together. <laughs> oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the daily bread as your morning devotion, but <clears throat> this morning I read it, and it, it draws attention to the third stanza, how personal this is. We're singing how great thou art, we see it in him in nature, but now we talk about how personal it is to us. I'm going to ask us, ask you to read through this with me. So often we sing these words and our mind is someplace else, but let's read the third stanza together and realize how personal it is, and then we'll sing it. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarcely can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Let's sing it together now. <clears throat> and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. 
So once you become a Christian, what is it then that God expects of us? What is it that God wants for us today to do? There's a verse in Matthew chapter 22, and these are the words of Jesus. When he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have been looking for the last couple of weeks at service that God has called us to serve one another. The attitude of Jesus was that of humility. The attitude of Jesus was that of sacrifice. Jesus is our example of the attitude we should have when it comes to our relationships with one another. Paul said in Philippians, we are to consider others better than ourselves. We are to put their interests above our own. We have been saved to serve. Saved to serve. And I think we see that clearly in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, let me read verse 1 down through verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your trans transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now someone said life is a journey. And so let's take this journey for a moment because we all started this journey at the same place. 
And Paul describes that in these opening verses. The road of sin and death. Notice the phrases of our spiritual condition. These phrases that that Paul lists. We're dead in transgressions and sins. We were followers of the ruler of the kingdom of this air, of the air. That is Satan himself. He says we've had this sinful nature and we craved and tried to gratify our flesh. He speaks of being under the wrath of God at the end of verse 3, which we deserve. This is the spiritual condition of all of mankind. And those who, even us who are now Christians, he says this is what we were at one time. This was our past. Every Christian has a past and a present, a before and an after. This was our before. And it's many people today, their condition as we speak. And so Paul paints this very true picture of the spiritual state without God. Without God. The depravity of man is a Theology in the Bible that is quite clear. That no one seeks God. That no one is righteous. No, not one. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the heart of man is desperately wicked. That we are enemies and separated from God. We are lost and without hope. This was the road of death that all of us once traveled. But immediately after these opening three verses, Paul says, but. It's a huge but. Immediately after this spiritual condition that is so clearly painted for us, we are told that we are made alive only by God's grace. Which comes to point number two, the crossroad of God's grace. We were dead, but we've been made alive alive but only because according to verse 4 of his great love only because God is rich in mercy that's why he did what he did that's why he sent Jesus into this world to to rescue us to redeem us from our sins for it wasn't while we were good that Christ died for us but he demonstrated his love to us In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's grace is beyond measure. God's grace, as the hymn writer stated, is an amazing, amazing grace. And we jump further down in this text in verse 8. And we read it as, By grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift. A wonderful gift from God. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. We love to boast of our achievements. We love to boast of the achievements of our children. We like to brag, don't we? When we do something good. We want people to know all about it. Can you imagine? Just imagine for one moment that that we are saved by works. And now we're all in heaven. And there we are sitting under this fig tree. 
and you are sitting beside me and I'm sitting and we're beginning to talk about how we got here. And someone says, you know, I was one of the greatest financial givers to Word of Life Chapel ever known. Someone says, but yeah, but, you know, I taught with the children in Awana for years and years and years. You know how I know salvation can't be of works? Can you imagine that discord, that arguing taking place under the fig tree in heaven? That's not going to take place in heaven. Lest any man should boast, it's not by works. We're sitting under the fig tree and we all have the same answer. We are here by God's grace, alone. That's it. That's it. And so Paul makes it quite clear that we are saved not by works. This is probably the clearest passage to state that, that we are not saved by works. It is not something that you do. It's what Christ has already done. However, having said all of that, we're not saved by works, but if you notice verse 10, we are saved to work. Works don't come before salvation, but they've got to follow salvation. We are saved to work. We are saved to serve, which brings us to point number three, and this is where I want to focus our time. Walking in good works. Verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has already pre prepared in advance for us to do. You know, the universe is filled with the wonders of God. The sunsets, the majestic mountains, the oceans deep, tomorrow's eclipse. Make sure you got your goggles or glasses on. The world is filled with the wonders of God. But the capstone of all of that, you remember creation? Remember that week of creation and God created the, the mountains and the oceans and the vegetables and the fruit trees and, and, and the animals and the fish and the birds. He created all of that and he looked at all of that and said, it is good. But then he creates man and says, it is very good. We are the capstone of God's creation. We are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. We are his masterpiece. The Greek says we are a, a work of art that God has now created us. We're not made in China. China. We're not even made in the U.S. of A. We have been made by God himself. God made us, and he made us just the way we are. In Psalm 8, and verse 5, it says, man is crowned with glory and honor. God don't make no junk. When God created you, he created a masterpiece. He created you and said, it is very good. And he has created you in the very image of God. You have been created in the image of God. 
We have been created to have dominion over all things. And God is this great artist. He's this great artist. And he has created us. Like the potter who shapes and molds that piece of clay. And within this word created in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus, is the idea of design. Design. That God has designed us, each of us, with certain abilities, with certain personalities, with gifts, with all of these things that he has created. And he has created each of us in this unique way, a special way. You know, you're not like anyone else in the world. But you haven't been created to be like someone else. And the way God made you is unique. You really are his masterpiece. You really are God's creation. And the idea here of being prepared in advance as the idea of a blueprint. And I like to think when, uh, if you think of history past, go back into eternity past, and here sits the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're working on this design, this blueprint for you, what you're going to be like. And this is all prepared in advance, everything. Your intelligence, your skills, your personality, your ability, your gifts. You're not ordinary. You are not average. You are a one-of-a-kind original. And there will be no one ever just like you. We've often said it, but we often say it in the negative. When God made you, he threw away the mold. But really, <laughs> he did in a positive way, that God had cre has created you as this, this work of art, and he will never, ever create someone exactly like you. God went to great lengths to bring you into existence as part of his creation. And God has created you and designed you for specific purposes. God has a work for you to do, which leads me to the idea of being uniquely gifted. Now, next week, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, but I want to give you a heads up of where we're going. Look with me this morning at Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. I, I just want to mention this text. Next week, we're going to take it and we're going to dissect it. Listen to what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. For by the grace given... You know what? Everything is according to his grace. Do you ever get that feeling? You know, we're saved by God's grace. He gives us gifts according to his grace. It's, it's all about grace. For by the grace that's given to me, I say, Paul says, to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
For just as each of us has one body, and it has many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, we form one body. Here we are, we're the whole body of Christ, but each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouragement, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. But here are some of the gifts that God has given to the members of his church. We are to serve others. Again, this is next week's text. But I want you to know something. That you have been created by God to do a good work. And God has already gifted you with what you are supposed to do. Hopefully next week we can help each other discover what that gift is. We read a few of them right here. Some of the gifts are, are, are gifts to help others, uh, to serve, uh, to teach, uh, to encourage, to lead, to financially support, to care for the needs. These are gifts that God has given to the church. And notice... They're to be used to help others. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, I hope you see how this series kind of unfolded. <laughs> Where we are to have this servant's heart, the heart of Jesus. His attitude of, of humility and sacrifice for other people. Because it's all about, not me, it's about you. And in your mind, life ought to be about others. We're to put others above ourselves. So when it comes to these gifts, all of these gifts are to be used, not for me. My gifts are to help you. Your gifts are to help someone else. Melissa, you know, she mentioned the verse, love your neighbor as yourself. I read it as we began the sermon. But the, one of the greatest acts of love that we can have for one another is to serve one another, to help each other in their spiritual journeys. And the teacher helps disciple the students. Someone who's discouraged, the encourager comes along and encourages them. There's leaders within the church that God has raised up. And they are to lead. There are those who have the gift of mercy. Where when you hear of a need of someone out there, you're quick to want to care for and help. But the body works that way. We're one body. But we have many, many members. But we all need to work together and serve one another in order for the body 
of Jesus to be healthy. And so Paul concludes this text that I read back in Ephesians with this little word, do. We are his work of art. We have been created. Why? To do good works. To do good works. And then he says at the end, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, we have in us this priceless gift that God has given to every Christian. Did you know that? Did you know that God gave you a priceless treasure? He has given you a gift, a special gift, created just for you. And you are to use that within the body of Christ. I heard a story of a man who lived in a very tiny apartment. And in this very tiny apartment, um, you know, he, he lived in poverty. I mean, he had nothing. He had nothing. One day he died, and some of his relatives came to his apartment. And they started to sort through the very little that he had. But over on the one wall, he had a painting. And it just struck them. It seemed out of place with everything else that he had. And so they decided, before we take this to a yard sale, they were going to take it to a local art gallery and have it appraised to discover that this painting was painted by a very famous artist back in the 1800s. And it was worth millions. Here's a man who lived in poverty and yet could have been a millionaire. Can you imagine how his life might have changed had he known the value of what he possessed? You know, I often think of Christians who aren't quite aware of where they fit into the church what they're supposed to be doing, what that looks like for them, and how that life could change if only you knew. This is what God wants me to do within the local body of believers. Next week, I hope uh, we can kind of unravel some of these things and maybe help a few of you um, discover what that gift is, what that gift might look like. But for now, that's next week, I want you to know something. You are God's masterpiece. God has created you like no one else. He really has. God sat down with the Godhead. They had this blueprint in front of them and said, we're going to create now, who do we want to create? How are we going to design? What gifts? What abilities? What personalities? What about their intelligence? Their height? Their weight? All of these things God created. You are who God wants you to be. Don't try to be someone else. You are exactly who God wants for you to be. So as you leave here this morning, 
I want you to know that you are God's work of art. You're his handiwork. God created you and said, he is very good. She is very good. We've been saved to serve. Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you, by your grace, have given us eternal life. But it's also, Lord, by your grace that you have made us the way we are. You have given us the gifts and the abilities which we possess. My prayer, Lord, is that at the end of this series, that, Father, each person might understand where they fit, what they need to do in order to serve others within the body of Jesus. You're a great and wonderful God, <coughs> and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your hymn books, if you would, please. Turn to hymn number 506. Uh, this is kind of a prayer of commitment um, as we leave this morning. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Let's stand together, 506. Let's sing this together and we'll be dismissed. <coughs> oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the Father, again, we thank you for the grace that's been given to us. Lord, a grace that saves, a grace that keeps, a grace that keeps us going. 
Father, we pray, we pray that you might help us to love one another, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.